Hi, Rebels. This Financial Literacy Month, Rebel Girls teamed up with Greenlight, the debit card and money app for families, to bring you everything you need to be smart with your money and build healthy habits that last a lifetime. With a Greenlight debit card and money app of their own, kids learn to make smart choices with every penny, whether you're saving for something special or learning to invest. Greenlight gives kids the power to be independent, and grown-ups can trust that their kids have money wherever they are. Sign up at greenlight.com slash rebelgirls to get your first month at no cost and start building money confidence for life. Once upon a time, on a stormy night in Spain, a gypsy queen was born. Her name was Carmen. Her parents were Romani, or gypsies as outsiders called them, and weren't strangers to fighting for their very existence. The Romani were travelers who worked as musicians and fortune tellers and in other jobs that allowed them to move from place to place as the seasons changed. But they were often viewed with suspicion by those leading more settled lives. People blamed them for thefts, disease, and crop failures, and they were persecuted and mistreated. Like many Romani people, Carmen's parents were wandering artists. When Carmen was born, they were living in the Romani quarter of Barcelona, a neighborhood called Somorrostro. Her mother was a dancer, and her father, known as El Chino, played the guitar. One evening, while Carmen's parents put on a show at a Barcelona theater, their four-year-old daughter slept soundly in their dressing room. Nobody knows what disturbed Carmen. Maybe it was a knock at the door, or the roar of the audience, or the crescendo of the music. But the child awakened, climbed out of her cot, and wandered onto the stage. At first, the audience didn't notice Carmen there. But then she began to dance. The tiny girl kicked her legs with the energy of a bucking bronco, stamping her feet and copying her mother's movements exactly. Carmen would grow up to become a master of flamenco, a force of nature who performed all over the world. I'm Tanya Babbage, and this is Good Night Stories for Rebel Girls, a podcast about the rebel women who inspire us. This week, Carmen Amaya. For two years, Carmen performed alongside her parents, dancing barefoot in taverns for a few pesetas. She stole fish and fruit when she was hungry, racing down cobbled streets and through tight alleys to the safety of the beach. At the water's edge, she admired the fury and the might of the sea. When Carmen turned six, her father sent her to school. But when she got there, she found it impossible to sit still. Her fingers tapped on the desk, her feet swiped at the tile beneath her toes, and just when the rhythm became predictable, it changed, her tongue clicking to keep time. As if this weren't enough, the rhythm she created was so irresistible that soon other students joined her. To Carmen, the school was a giant music box, a container that needed to burst open with song, with dance, with energy, with life. 
When I feel like jumping, I jump, said Carmen. Carmen did not follow any rules but her own. Soon enough, the administration grew tired of Carmen's antics and expelled the troublemaker. But she still had flamenco. Carmen's departure from school was abrupt. She hadn't even learned to read and write yet. So when she signed her first dance contract at 10 years old, she scribbled an X instead of her name. Most nights, Carmen performed at taverns and cafes, returning home to sleep well after the sun rose. The more she danced, the more she earned, and her family went from eating canned sardines and stolen fish to dining on ham and tomato sandwiches. When she turned 15, the King of Spain, Alfonso XIII, announced that he would attend the International Exposition. Overnight, Barcelona became a new city. New courtyards popped up for impromptu entertainment, and the best flamenco troops from every corner of Spain arrived in Barcelona. Rumors circulated around the city about a talented dancer who could charm even the least enthusiastic audience. The Romani dancers chose Carmen to represent them in their presentation for the king. Before the performance, a guard stopped Carmen. Eres la guitana bailaora Carmen Amaya? he asked. Was she the gypsy dancer Carmen Amaya? She nodded. Who's asking? The king, he said. Then... He gave her a long list of rules for how she should dress, stand, and speak. Remember, he is royalty. You will dedicate every dance to him, but never speak directly to him. When the opening ceremony began and talented dancers paraded across the courtyard, Carmen grew more and more anxious as her moment approached. She looked down at her mismatched shoes. They felt unnatural as she shifted from foot to foot. La guitana bailaora, said a loud voice. Carmen Amaya. The crowd giggled a little, which infuriated her. She kicked off her shoes and walked onto the stage barefoot, head held high in defiance. Va por usted, señore, Carmen shouted. This one's for you, Mr. King. The royal entourage grew uneasy at her break from tradition. They seemed reluctant to clap and cry out as they normally would, waiting for the king's reaction. But Carmen ignored them. Normally, flamenco dancers would master one palo, one form of flamenco. But Carmen had mastered them all. Female dancers seldom performed footwork and focused primarily on graceful hands, arms, upper body, and swaying hips. Meantime, men performed most of the footwork. When Carmen danced, she put her very soul into it. She whirled, fast as a tornado, clapping her hands and stamping her feet in time with the guitarist. Her flowing costume flared out behind her, nearly unable to keep up with her movements. Her limbs ebbed, flowed, and crashed into the rhythm like waves onto the shore. As the last notes of the guitar faded, the air remained still until the king rewarded her with warm, enthusiastic applause. Never before had any monarch given such attention to a gypsy. 
That night, Carmen's pockets were weighed down with 500 pesetas, and her family enjoyed a basket of ham, wine, and sweets. Carmen had made a name for herself in Barcelona. Some called her La Capitana, the captain, and some called her the Queen of the Gypsies. But whatever the name, Carmen was a powerful whirlwind who affected everyone around her. When the great flamenco guitarist Sabicas came to town, he wanted none other than Carmen Amaya to take the stage with him. As soon as she began, a gentleman in the audience threw back his head as if electrified, banging his skull against the wall and shattering the mirror behind him. As the night went on, Carmen danced with more and more ferocity, abandoning herself completely to the music. A floorboard broke right beneath her foot. Her energy was so contagious that the audience smashed their plates right there on the walls of the tavern. Glittering shards littered the floor like a mosaic. And then, just like that, the song ended. Carmen stood perfectly still in her final pose, every line in her body exuding strength. Her dark eyes stared out at the audience, challenging them to disrupt her spell. A hush fell over the tavern. And then the audience clapped, stomped, and whistled their approval, and the building shook as if a hundred bulls had rushed through it. When Carmen walked off stage, broken ceramic crunched beneath her feet. After this performance, Sabikas pulled Carmen's father aside. Look, Chino, he said, your girl has something that needs to be taken very seriously. You have to take her to Madrid. The people there understand it all, and they'll be able to recognize it. And so, to Madrid they went. Not just Carmen and El Chino, but the entire family tagged along. Her younger sisters danced, her mother cooked, her father and brother negotiated her contracts, and her uncle and cousins accompanied her on guitar. When the sisters married, their husbands and their children came along too. They were her dance company, her colleagues, her friends, her community. I don't know how to go through the world alone, and if I don't go with my people, I get nothing out of life, she said. She had come a long way from when she had performed for just a few pesetas. Now, through flamenco, she was able to support her entire family. I have to tell you about my friend Penelope. She is hilarious. She only eats cheese doodles and canned beans, and she loves to sing and fly through walls. Wait, did I tell you that Penelope is my imaginary friend? Well, she is, but she's totally real to me. Anywho, Penelope and I are very excited because there's a new movie coming out on May 17 all about imaginary friends. It's called IF, which stands for Imaginary Friends. Pretty cool, am I right? IF is so much fun with lovable fuzzy giants and bright new galaxies. It stars Kaylee Fleming as B, a girl who discovers that she can see everyone else's ifs. Meanwhile, Cal, played by Ryan Reynolds, can also see ifs. Together, they team up and go on a magical adventure to reconnect forgotten ifs with their kids. 
If is from the brilliant mind of writer-director John Krasinski. It also stars John Krasinski, Fiona Shaw, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, Maya Rudolph, John Stewart, Sam Rockwell, Emily Blunt, Aquafina, and Steve Carell, just to name a few. It celebrates the incredible power of curiosity and creativity, and it's definitely a laugh-out-loud adventure for the whole family. If comes out in theaters starting May 17th and is guaranteed to knock your socks off. What? Oh, Penelope says she wears two pairs of socks at all times. Also, that imaginary friends get limitless refills on popcorn. So join us in the theater on May 17th. Bring your imaginary friends too. Can't get enough of Rebel Girls? Well, luckily, the Rebel Girls app is now completely free. That's right. You can listen to the entire library of goodnight stories for Rebel Girls ad-free. Plus, check out the app's cool features like activities, trivia, custom playlists, and more. All parent-trusted and kids-safe. Find out more at rebelgirls.com slash audio and download the Rebel Girls app today. Thanks for listening. In 1936, civil war broke out in Spain. So Carmen and her family fled to the Portuguese border and friends smuggled them into Lisbon. There she feared she would have to start over, rebuilding her career from scratch. She went from bar to bar seeking work, but she was turned away. Running low on food and money, Carmen begged a waiter to sneak her into Café Arcadia without the owner's consent. She put on her best dress, climbed onto the stage, and began to dance. The restaurant owner ran to stop her, but it was too late. The crowd was already entranced by La Capitana. This bold act provided her enough work to scrape by until 23-year-old Carmen received a telegram, a contract for three months in Buenos Aires with a million pesetas guaranteed. The life-changing offer was too good to pass up, so Carmen and a few members of her family boarded the ship for a 15-day voyage. Within days, a waiter cornered Carmen with a request. Would she perform for the passengers? She didn't know if she could keep her food down, let alone whirl and kick to the strum of her father's guitar. But Carmen had learned to dance from the ocean that now writhed beneath them. As a child, she had watched the waves for hours, hypnotized. The foam enchanted her. The force of a storm tossing debris inspired her. And like the last notes of a grand finale, the tide receded into the sea. Now, sitting in the belly of the ship, Carmen's feet had grown restless. She couldn't remember going so long without dancing. During that voyage, Carmen put on shows for all of the passengers, poor and rich, and she would not accept a dime in payment. Carmen debuted at the Maravillas Theater in Buenos Aires before a spellbound audience. And like everywhere she went, Carmen's dancing was unlike anything they had ever seen. Carmen had traveled to Buenos Aires with a three-month-long contract. Instead, she ended up performing there 
for two years. When she left, Argentinians named a theater after her, El Teatro Amaya. After a tour in Latin America, the great Carmen Amaya, accompanied by more than a dozen dancers and guitarists, arrived in North America. Her salary in the United States was unfathomable, today's equivalent of about $30,000 a week, which she shared with her family. In New York City, they stayed at the most prestigious hotel there was, the Waldorf Astoria. The Amaya clan always kept the doors open, floating from one room to the other, dancing, playing instruments, and chatting loudly. One guest even claimed the family had been cooking sardines in their rooms, which Carmen adamantly denied. The hotel management soon grew exasperated. She was disrupting the other guests' experience and would have to leave. Having no patience for intolerance, Carmen and her family took their money elsewhere. But the Waldorf Astoria was not the only place where prejudice lived. On Fifth Avenue, Carmen stood outside of an expensive dress shop, fascinated by a majestic fur coat. She entered the shop and asked to try it on. The clerk barely glanced at Carmen's gypsy clothes before turning her away. It's an exclusive collection, the attendant told her, implying that the coat was out of reach for a person like Carmen. She stopped the woman at once unfolded a wad of bills and said, I'll take seven. She passed out the fur coats one at a time. Each sister and cousin put one on and basked in the feel of soft fur on her skin. And then the seven of them walked the streets of New York together. Sometimes North America was kind to Carmen. And sometimes it was harsh. She performed at the legendary Carnegie Hall and even the White House by invitation of President Franklin Roosevelt himself. In fact, the president gifted her a bolero jacket inlaid with gold and diamonds. Though the public was infatuated with Carmen's raw dance style, some critics called her a gifted clown and named her work mediocre compared to other Spanish dance forms. One review said that the myth of the human tornado has been somewhat overdone. As her family read the reviews to Carmen, she felt deflated. She was a star, wasn't she? She grew suspicious, uncertain if the harsh words were a statement on her skills or her social class. Carmen had had enough, so she waited until peacetime had been declared, and then she disbanded her dance company and returned to Europe. She found her country shell-shocked and poverty-stricken after its recent civil war. But it was good to be home among her people. Carmen sought out professionals who were trained in other dance styles. She hired the most talented musicians and dancers to join her new company. And she shocked audiences with new performance material and a unique costume. Carmen stepped on stage in Sevilla wearing the pants of a matador, a bullfighter. Trousers, she said, are unforgiving. They show every mistake. They give you nothing to take hold of. Carmen spent almost a decade perfecting her craft before returning to Carnegie Hall. Her feet echoed through the quiet concert hall and the atmosphere vibrated with her very presence. 
The new Amaya is overwhelming, one critic said after her performance. Every movement is animated by a feeling of latent violence held in check only by an equal power of control. When she lifts an arm, it's as if it were forcing itself through a weight of water. Carmen returned to Spain with her head held high. In the spring of 1963, Carmen's body began to fail. Every minute on stage required hours of recovery afterward. In bed, her back spasmed brutally, and all she could do was desperately search for a comfortable position. But no relief ever came. She rested as much as she could and then returned to her art. She had to dance, she said, to remember what it was to be alive again. Until one night, she collapsed. Carmen rested for a few weeks and then took to the stage one last time. But again, she couldn't finish her performance. The pain overwhelmed her, and she fainted. She had advanced kidney disease, and her body couldn't take the stress anymore. I feel like a caged lion, she said. She retired to a beach estate to await the arrival of spring, but she wouldn't survive to see the winter. She was buried shoeless because the sea had made her who she was. In the gypsy tradition, family and friends are encouraged to visit the home of the deceased and take something that reminds them of their loved one. By the time the mourners had gone, the house was bare. Just as she had in life, Carmen gave all that she had to the people she loved the most. Hello, I'm Santa Fu from Lexington, Massachusetts. Today's episode was hosted by Tanya Babich. Tanya is a television news anchor in Chicago, Illinois, and a proud mother of two rebel girls with a third on the way. The podcast is a production of Timbuktu Labs and based on the book series Goodnight Stories for Rebel Girls. Check them out at www.rebelgirls.co and use the promo code REBELPODCAST to get 15% off. They're awesome. If you are enjoying the show, please share on Facebook, on Twitter, share it everywhere. And don't forget to leave us a review on iTunes. It's a great way for other people to discover the show. Our executive producer is Elena Favilli. This season was produced by Joy Folks and Meg Murnane. This episode was written by Francesca Cavallo. Scripts are edited by Justine Ware and fact-checked by Janice Weaver. Original theme music was composed and performed by Electra Barjaki, who's also sound-designed this episode. Mattia Marcel is the sound mixer. Until next time, stay tuned and stay rebel. Thanks for listening to this episode, Rebels. Did you know there's a whole world of Rebel Girls to explore? Go to rebelgirls.com slash more to check out our latest books, t-shirts, crafting kits, and, well, more. Visit rebelgirls.com slash more. Until next time, stay rebel. We put on our detective caps and looked high and low, searching for clues to lead us to the best new mystery podcast for kids. Little did we know that we would have to search upside down. That's right. 
we discovered the upside down story with a brand new mystery story for kid detectives each and every week. With most stories, the storyteller introduces themselves at the beginning of the tale. But at the upside down story, you don't know who is telling you the story until the very end. Unless you guess their identity sooner, that is. Do you think you have the detective skills to crack these cases wide open? Yes? Then tag along with us for the fun and put your sleuthing skills to the test by listening to The Upside Down Story on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts.